also as Laura is walking up, just to, I'll do an intro now, of uh, one of the, uh, our interns at Urban, at Urban Village is Josh Lee, and uh, Josh will be preaching today. Josh preached it a couple months ago, or a couple months ago, and people came up to me and just talked, Josh was great! And they kept talking about how great Josh was, and I kept thinking, oh, <laughs> You're in for a treat today. Uh, back by popular demand. Good morning. Um, all in February, we're going to have readings from First Peter. Uh, today's reading is from First Peter, chapter one, verses thirteen through twenty-five. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Uh, discipline yourself. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus will bring you when He is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you had, you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke as father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during that time of your exile. You know that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like the lamb, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but it was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable but imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. The word of God and the people of God. Thank you, God. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, our preaching styles can probably be compared to like, you can sort of uh, grow unappreciative of your, your, your spouse uh, who makes a meal for you every single day, right? Uh, and serves that for you or that you do that together. Uh, and, and then when someone comes and makes something you never had before or something that's different, it tastes a little different or has a different spice, uh, right, then it all of a sudden it's like, oh wow, I really appreciate that, thanks for that. But you still appreciate the meal you get every single day, right? It's still good. So, lesson to take from that, you need to share with your pastor what God's speaking to you uh, through him, right? That's encouraging for him and for any pastor to know that. So don't ever stop appreciating and sharing that appreciation. Uh, so today's message uh, I, I really I wrestled with it, particularly when I came to this part of the passage. I'm going to read this, these first two verses with you. Beginning in verse 13, it says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hopes on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Now, here's the part that sort of like was like, all right, I got I to gotta try to swallow this bone. Instead... As he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, when I read that I have to be as holy as God, I immediately feel defeated. Because I know that even on my best day, I will just totally miss that mark. Uh, 
And, and it says in all your conduct. Well, I'm pretty screwed in my opinion in that because I know that I cannot do that. And I remember growing up sort of wrestling for like, what does it mean to be holy then? So does that mean that I need to follow all the ritual purity laws in the Old Testament? No, those don't count anymore. Maybe just the Ten Commandments then, right? Like the Big Ten. Well, I don't know because then when you get in the New Testament, maybe we just say that only the things that follow over from the Old are the things uh, that were stated a second time. You know? So they weren't stated in the New, then that just doesn't count anymore. It's done with. Uh, but then again, I mean, Jesus seems to come and continually make us rethink all of these rules and these thoughts. And, and then you have Paul uh, and Peter who, who seem to wrestle through, like, what's okay and what's really not. And they can't really make fully sense, full, full sense of it. And they can't really come to a decision. And then you have the church form, the Roman Catholic Church. And they begin to decide what's orthodox and what's not. And they begin to draw some conclusions, right? Uh, they begin to decide that, well... Uh, for someone to be saved, for someone to be holy, you don't just have to believe. You need to have good works. You need to live a certain way. You need to do certain things. Uh, even into the point, right, when the Catholic Church begins to expand and they, they want to build churches, uh, big, beautiful churches, and they want to expand their reach, uh, they institute this thing called penance, uh, where you could do such a good work that you would give a certain amount of money to the church so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. Or you could, uh, if since this was you know, instituted later, they decided you could also uh, pay some money to ransom a loved one out if they were already there. <laughs> right? And, and Wow. The things that we come up with. All in an attempt to make sense of God and what holiness is and what it means for us to live holy lives to be created in the image of God and to look like God when it's really difficult to sometimes be like God. The, the tension, right? And, and the church, Roman Catholic Church, and the corruption that occurred uh, there and the distortion of that, you have somebody named Luther, right, who comes along. And Luther uh, can read the Bible because you have to realize that at this point in church history, you, we all didn't have our own little Bibles to go and read. Okay, We couldn't pull up our app on our phone and read whatever text we wanted. Up to this point... The, the church said, listen, people can't interpret the Bible. And if we give it to them, they'll make thousands of denominations. <laughs> A prophecy, right? Uh, that, that, that's what they'll do. They'll make thousands of denominations. We're going to read it. We'll tell the people what it says. And then we'll tell them how to practice it. And then we'll make sure that they're practicing it the right way. And if they don't, then they can't come to this table. And that's how we're going to kind of use and manage who's holy and who's not. And so Luther, who was a monk, uh, began to read scripture because he could do that. He, was, he wasn't laity. He was priest. And so he began to read the scriptures and he came to passages like this we see here in, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 where it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. And Luther goes, hold on. You've been telling me forever that I have to do things to earn God's favor, that I have to do things to earn God's love, that I have to do these good works in order to inherit eternal life, that I have to be this certain way and do these certain things in order to be holy and come to this table. But this passage says that it's all a free gift. Either I don't have to pay for it or it is. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I woke up on Christmas morning and my parents had all these gifts for me and I opened them and I was really excited and then they said, now, here are the list of chores you're going to do for the next 30 years. 
and yes, 30 years is after you're old, you're going to come back and you're going to keep mowing my lawn. I would say, well, I don't want these gifts. These aren't gifts then. These are obligations. There are things tied to this. I don't want it. Take it back. And so Luther sees that and goes, never mind. This, this seems so silly. How can you say that we have to have works to be holy, to be acceptable to God, to have salvation? And so Luther never intended to, to cause a split in the Catholic Church. But he pushed back against the system. He pushed back against the corrupt people that were using uh, misinterpretations to oppress people and keep them in their place. And he pushed so hard and it was at such a breaking point of weakness. They had gone so far with their teaching that it broke. And you have a new movement starting. A reformation. Protestantism. Which is why you all can sit in the seats today. Which is why you all can have your own Bible today. Because uh, a resistance happened that caused a break. That made it possible for people to think differently and to think critically. And now we have thousands of Christian denominations today <laughs> because we all uh, come to text and we look at them differently. And so I want you to realize one thing. If someone ever calls you a progressive Christian, how many of you have ever been called a progressive Christian? Okay, that's cool. Just like four of you. Uh, how many of you would identify as maybe progressive? Do you know, do you know what that means? No. No? Okay, great. Uh, this church would probably align itself, would I say yes with that? With maybe kind of progressive thought, evangelical progressive thought? Yeah. Yes? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm on the right track here. Jesus. All right. <laughs> he wasn't shaking his head at first. Uh, I included the evangelical part of that. Yeah, I, well, I knew that's what I needed to add for you to say yes. Uh, so, yeah, and, and it's true, right? There's, we're, we're evangelical, uh, we're, but we're progressive in the way that we view Scripture. Uh, but yet, we, we, we view Scripture in a very high way. We value it. And so what I mean by progressive is this. I'm going to unpack that so you're not like, what is, wait, you just call this progressive on what that means? Why is this a tense point? Here's my thoughts around this. Christianity has always been progressive. From a Jewish rabbi who shows up and questions uh, how people were interpreting scripture to his disciples who were left to grapple with the things that Jesus said and how those seemed to contradict and rub up against their tradition and their understanding of, uh, of prophecy and history and God's interaction with humanity. To the point where you even have like a Paul and a Peter, right? Who are, who are fighting about like, well, who's in and who's out? Do they need to be circumcised or not? Do they need to follow the food laws or do they, do, do they not? Do they have to do these certain things to be Christian or do they not? Uh, who has authority? Who doesn't? What are the churches supposed to look like? What are they not supposed to look like? Right? There's this tension. Continually progressing. Trying to figure out what is the heart of God. And, and then I, told, I just talked to you about the Catholic Church and the split with, the, with, the, with, with, with Luther starting. And then all of the continual splits and the divides and the uniting that have happened over the last 2,000 plus years trying to make sense of Christianity, of faith, right? Everything you believe today is built upon the shoulders of those who have progressed before you to try to understand Christ better. Try, try to make sense of the Trinity, to try to make sense of communion to try to make sense of what Scripture is and what it means and how it interprets 
How do we interpret it? You see what I'm saying by progressive? Christianity has always been progressive because we are always progressively trying to understand the heart of God. And so our faith today looks extremely different than it would have when Jesus was walking the earth uh, or when Paul was walking the earth or when Luther was walking the earth or when Wesley was walking the earth. And, and I believe different in a good way because as we have these men who have wrestled with God and wrestled with scripture and wrestled with one another, they have better defined what we believe today. And I think as you better define what you believe today, you become more holy. And what I mean by holy is this. What if holiness is not just about following certain rules, living up to certain standards? What if it's not just about that, but holiness is about being whole? I mean, that's what the root word comes from. Holiness is about being whole, the, the whole person. It's not just about your character and, and maybe what you do or don't do, but it's intrinsically about aligning yourself with, okay, in my, is my whole self reflecting who God is? I can tell you that for me personally, there was, there was great chasms in my life where what I knew and what I believed and what I practiced did not line. And it took many years for me to wrestle through why those things didn't align. But when they did, there was a wholesomeness that occurred. On another level is this, uh, share with you just a little bit of my, my story in short. Uh, I knew uh, when I was like 12 that I was gay, but I also knew at 12 that I wanted to be a pastor. And those worlds were irreconcilable uh, in the worlds that I grew up in. And so I just repressed the gay, and I fully embraced the pastoral side of my life. And, and then I went to Bible college at Moody, and I was a youth pastor, and then I became a co-pastor in the Assemblies of God Church. And then after Moody, I went and I was a senior pastor of an independent Christian church. And then finally, when I went and moved to Kentucky, and I slowed down for a few minutes... And I had silent nights at home. I was alone with my thoughts. And I was alone with the spirit enough to quiet down for a minute and to listen. And the silence was just filled with tears. And the silence began to be filled with anger. How did I get to this point? How can I serve God and have served God so faithfully? And now here I am. At the place I always wanted to be, pastoring a church, and I'm so angry with you. And I'm filled with loneliness. And I realized that I never really found comfort in you. I found comfort in doing things for you. And then to sit and to grapple with that reality. And say, well, what do I do now? And to hear God say, well, let's talk about it finally. And you go... That's a radical idea. <laughs> okay. And so we did. We wrestled for a year. And I started studying uh, progressive theology around sexuality. What I'm, again, what I mean by that is how sexuality has been understood over the span of time and how it's being understood now in different Christian sects like UBC. And, and after a long time of study, 
I, I begin to realize I may believe this. My whole life is about to be uprooted. This is not going to be good. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my livelihood. I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to lose my network. Is that really worth it? Like, I, just, I feel like if I lose all that, I won't be very whole anymore. <laughs> and so I grappled with it. And then I went away to a thing called the Walk for Emmaus on a weekend. And, and a Walk for Emmaus is pretty much, they could just call it Silent Weekend. Because that's literally what it is. You just, like, you, you go away. All distractions, you leave your phone. And you just spend time in solitude and silence. And it was there that God spoke really clearly and said, Josh, it's time. It's time to resign. It's time to move on uh, and be all that I've created you to be. To be authentic to yourself. And yeah, you may lose a few limbs, but they'll grow back. I'll make sure of it. And so I resigned. The hardest decision I've ever had to make in my life. Just on my news feed popped up this, this last week uh, a memory, and it was a picture of uh, 12 members in my church on my last Sunday and I was on my knees washing their feet as my last act of service as a pastor. And I remember that Sunday thinking, how will I ever be whole again? How is this ever going to work out? I am resigning from this job and I have no idea what's next in my life. But I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And it's been about a year and a half now and I've been on a journey of understanding now uh, what this means to be holy has to do with wholeness I feel that I reflect God now more than I ever have before because of a few things one, I've, I've never been more genuine and authentic to myself and more genuine and authentic before God and where I am and who I am and God meets me in that place the second thing I believe is this, is God meets me in that place in a special way because I can preach without any masks or filters. I can share who I am with where I am and where I've been. And there's a wholeness in that. But here's the next thing that's most important. I haven't put all my eggs in one basket. What I mean by that is when I was a pastor, that's all I was and all I did. I wasn't whole. I didn't have a lot of deep relationships or friendships. I was scared that anything would be, feelings could be developed, and so I just put up walls. I didn't think anybody could truly love me if they knew everything about me, so I didn't really let a lot of people in. I worked constantly, so I didn't have to think about anything else or give to anybody else a part of me that I didn't want them to see. And so this, what I want us to come to with this text this is now is I think it makes it really clear uh, that there are, there are some things that we can do to be, create wholeness in ourselves. Okay? And, and it's from real clear instructions. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 just says, Therefore, prepare your minds. So here's the three things I believe we can do, uh, this four things this morning I believe we can do to become more whole. The first thing is I believe we can prepare our minds, as the passage says. Uh, for us, this means to be bold. To be bold here at, at UBC. To, to do things and to question things and to test things that maybe we haven't been willing to go before. Uh, I went to my first anti-racism training about a year ago through Crossroads, and, and, and I did not want to go. Uh, my pastor back in Kalamazoo, Michigan, said to me, 
uh, you should go to anti-racism training. I said, I don't need no anti-racism training. I ain't a racist. <laughs> he said, you're the one that need, you're the one that needs to go. I said, screw you. <laughs> he said, you're going to go because you need it. You've got to trust me. You trust me, right? I said, yeah, I trust you. He said, have I failed you yet? I said, no. He says, then you're going to go and we're going to pay for it. I said, well, but if you're going to pay for it, you should have said that. I'll go then. Fine. <laughs> Fine. All right. So I went. And the first time I went, I sat two and a half days to this anti-racism training. And the whole time I sat through it, I had to say to myself, this is, is this a thing? Is this really racism? Is still really a thing today? Like, I can't believe that this is a thing. Really? Honestly? I don't know about this. You guys are twisting this narrative. I had to convince myself. And finally, by the end of the two and a half days, on the, half, the last half day, I went, this is a thing. Can we do this again? I need to listen to it. <laughs> Realizing that it's a thing. So then UDC did anti-racism training. Our, many of our leaders went through this. And, and I went to it again. This time I went to it with the reality of realizing it's real. It's a thing. And, and, and so then I said, okay, I'm going to go through it this time, and I'm going to think about it differently. I'm going to go to this event, and I'm going to prepare my mind for action this time. Now that I know it's a thing, teach me what I need to do differently. How do I need to change the way I think and I view the world? And what do I need to repent of that has not made me a very whole and wholesome person because of the things that lie within me that I didn't know about? That changed some things for me. And so I want you to, to think about what, where are some areas in your heart and your mind that you need to just begin to prepare your heart and your mind for action? What are some steps you need to take? Is that wherever you're at in your journey, maybe you need to join a small group or an intentional relationship. Maybe you need to go to one of these trainings. Uh, maybe you need to start attending your town hall meetings and understanding what's happening in your community. Maybe you need to be involved in the Community Renewal Society. Or just maybe you're just at a place where you're like, I just need to figure out how to start attending church faithfully. I can't even figure that out yet. Or maybe you're like, I've been attending church for a while, but, but I'm still working through some stuff. And I don't know if I really want to get my hands dirty in it yet. Okay, well, what, let's begin to prepare our minds for action. What, what do I need to do? What do I need to work out in myself so that I can begin to invest in the church again? Because I've been hurt by it, and I've been burned by it, and I'm not ready to get my hands dirty yet. Because I don't trust it yet. Here's the second thing. It says, discipline yourselves. The pastor tells us to discipline ourselves. I, uh, I went back to my hometown of Elgin uh, a few months ago. And I, and I stopped into Spring Hill Mall, which was the spot when I was in middle school, high school. <laughs> that was the spot. Everybody went there on Friday night uh, and, and walk around and look at shops and hang out, cause problems, uh, maybe go to the movies. That was the spot. And I went in there and I went, am I in the right spot anymore? It had totally changed. Uh, I was all of a sudden, I was in the minority. It was a majority Hispanic mall now. They had Hispanic stores with Hispanic clothes and food, and most of the people walking around were Hispanic, uh, and I, most of the signs were in Spanish. And I was like, where am I? And, and then I left, and I sat in my car, and I, and I said, okay, uh, this is pushing a button, Josh. You've got to figure out why it's pushing a button. Examine your heart right now. Prepare your mind. Discipline yourselves to think differently about this. Some menu's not whole right now. Some menu's not reflecting holiness. 
And I had to wrestle. Man, you know what I didn't like about that? It was that it wasn't majority what I was comfortable with anymore. And I thought, why is that okay for me to think? Why do I have to think that everything has to be white? Everything has to be Anglo-Saxon culture. Everything has to be in English. Everyone needs to dress like me. And the stores need to have clothes that I like. What about everybody else? Since when was this my world? Since when do all spaces need to be like comfortable for me? <laughs> I've had to learn to think differently. And so I went to this march, this women's march. And I looked around and I realized something, one thing that was uniting the diversity of people that were there. I was expecting just a lot of women. Well, there was a lot of women. (laughs) But more than that, there were LGBTQ folk. There were people of color, there were immigrants, there were refugees, there were Muslims, there were atheists, there were believers and there were non-believers. There was everything. And people had all these different signs, these different chants. They were uniting over one thing. They were saying, listen, I'm not whole. This, this country isn't whole. And, and, and I'm standing, and I'm fighting, and I'm marching, saying, I want a whole America. I want a holy America. I want an inclusive America. I want a united America. Because right now, I don't feel like there's a place for me. I feel like I'm being forced to the outer edges. And I want to be a part of the whole. We can prepare our minds for action, but if we don't act, why even prepare our minds, right? Faith without works is dead. Yes, God is on the throne, but faith without works is dead, folks. If we don't do anything with that reality, well, then that's just a nice cliche statement. You see, we can be healthy in our bodies, but we lack the motivation to go to the gym or to be healthier to go for a run. (laughs) We can uh, want to be good parents. Or partners, but if we don't discipline ourselves to go home at a certain time and put our phone aside or put it in our schedule to attend our children's or, or, or an event that's important to our family, then you know what? It's not going to happen. We have to discipline ourselves to be whole. And if, 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 if we want to, to, to be treated equally in this country, unfortunately, that's something we have to fight for and we have to speak out about. We have to be disciplined to intentionally take opportunities to change things that we have power to change. If we want to be spiritually fit, but we lack the motivation to go to church, then we need to be challenged by people around us. To take the steps necessary, to be involved in the things necessary to enrich our souls spiritually. You see, being whole is not just about the spiritual thing. If you're being spiritual, but you're neglecting your family, then you're not whole. If you're being spiritual, and you're neglecting your job and your calling, you're not being whole. If you're spiritual, but you're neglecting these other people groups for your own advantage and comfortability, you are not whole. To be holy is to be whole. As I close, the last thing that he tells us in this passage is to set your hope on Jesus. And to me, that's the most relevant message that we as the church have today. We at UVC want to be relevant, we want to be bold, we want to be inclusive. The fact that Jesus has always been and will always be present and actively, not just building bridges, but he's in the water. Because in order to build a bridge, you've got to get in the water first. 
And you've got to wade through it. And that's messy. And Jesus is in it. This is what Jesus was about. Do we have the picture at all? Yeah. I was just, I got back from Israel. 25 minutes, I'm at. We're almost done. All right. I just got back from Israel. And, and uh, this is the synagogue where Jesus stood and said these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Imagine Jesus standing in this room saying this. This is the exact synagogue where Jesus said this. And recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he drops the mic, walks away, and says, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So when Jesus shows up and says, It's me, I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. He could have said a lot of stuff to be like, It's me, I'm here. That's this passage about freedom about a whole person and a whole world that he wants to create, that's the one he chooses to say, today, the Messiah is here. It's because Jesus was so, so, so much about meeting the least of these. About meeting those who felt that they weren't whole, those who felt like they'd put up, been put on the outside. Jesus comes to the forgotten, to the marginalized, to the hated, to the hopeless, to the poor, to the widowed, to the orphan, to the sick, to the prostitute, to the foreigner, to the tax collector, to the dead, to the lame, to the blind, to the short, to the weak, to the powerless, to the Gentile, to the Jew, to the Samaritan, to the shepherd, to the fisherman, to the homeless, to the jobless, to the slave, to the woman, to the adulteress, to the mourner, to the poor in spirit, to the meek, to the hungry, to the persecuted, Jesus comes to them and says, Be holy as I am holy. Be whole as I am whole. I am making all things new. In this time, in this climate in our country, we need courageous hope. And that hope comes from the reality that Jesus is making us whole. If we will just let him. If we will just let her. Mold us. Into that holiness. The holiness that Jesus embodied. Then we can live in a world that's whole again. Our Lord should keep to come. This last pass, this passage, says something that I think I need to be reminded of often. It says, uh, you know, prepare your minds, discipline yourselves, set your hope on grace. But here's the last thing. Do not conform to the desires you formerly had in ignorance. There are a lot of things I just didn't know because I didn't know. And now I know. Now that I know, I'll never live the same again. I can no longer live in ignorance. And so church, I challenge you this morning to just take a moment. Would you close your eyes with me? And would you just allow the Holy Spirit to just shine His light into whatever dark corner of your life maybe that needs some work, that needs some intentional thought to take action. Where is it that God is directing you right now and saying, hey, this is an area I want to work on making you whole. 
maybe it's not an area in your life, maybe God's challenging you to take an area in this world that's not very whole and to work for justice so that we can live in a holy world, a whole world. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come now. Reveal to us what you want us to know. We thank you that you are making 